part of part of the freedom and the responsibility that comes from leadership is knowing that, yeah, I hope I'm I'm surrounded by people who are smarter than I am, who know more than I do. And my job is to help them be successful, not to do their jobs for them. And that means giving them real responsibility, letting them fail, letting them learn from that failure. This is the Leadership 480 Podcast. Hi, leaders, and welcome back to the Leadership 480 Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Alms. And today, our topic is one that has captivated attention for decades, but is really tough to master, how to become a humble leader. It's one of those concepts that sounds great, and we all want to work for a humble leader, but it can be really challenging to actually do it. And if we're being honest, a lot of us might quietly question whether humility is the best way to build our careers. Do we have to forego recognition to become humble leaders? So here to correct all of our misconceptions about being a humble leader and share practical tips on how to become humbler is Dr. Josh Wymore. Josh has helped Fortune 500 leaders around the world become more of the leaders they were meant to be and has just published a new book called Humbler Leadership. Josh is also an executive coach and consultant for DDI and his own consulting company, Wymore. Josh, welcome to the Leadership 480 podcast. Thanks for having me, Beth. So I'll dive right in with an an honest question. <laughs> um, humility is really the opposite of a of a glamorous topic. It's all about kind of shedding the limelight in some ways. So what got you interested in this topic and how humility is related to leadership? Yeah, great question. I can uh, I can tell you it's not because I am the humblest person in the world. And I <laughs> I don't say that with like false modesty. That's uh, an actual fact, and I have witnesses to prove it. What what really got me fascinated with this is uh, personally, I came across a truly humble leader about 15 or 20 years ago, and it it changed the course of my life. His name was Brad. He was a softball coach, and I tell this story in the book. And what was so fascinating about Brad is that he was able to do things I couldn't do as a leader. Um, and I was still new in my leadership journey. I was uh, uh, lacked confidence. Well, I didn't lack confidence. I lacked competence. I had too much confidence. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't get where I needed to go with the team. I couldn't build trust. I couldn't get results. And Brad had this way of engaging me, giving me really difficult feedback, pushing me to be better, but all in this way that made me want to follow him. And so I said, man, I've got to figure out how to do that. And so I spent... Uh, the next 10 or 15 years practicing that, uh, reading more about that. And then as I uh, transition into the space I'm in now, leadership development and working with executives, I realized, wow, there's just such a compelling need for this virtue. Um, It's not something we think about very often. And even when we do think about it, we don't really have a plan for how to become humbler. It's like you Mm -hmm. either have it or you don't. You're wired for it or not. And so I wanted to to write a book that would move this conversation forward, put it on the radar of people who weren't thinking about it. And for those that were thinking about it, give them some practical steps they could take to actually become a little bit humbler every day. So you used an interesting word there, Josh, of virtue. So humility is um, often thought of as as something that's such a good virtue to have, and it's and it's an attractive quality. Um, and there, there can be for some of us. We feel like you know, there's, there's, it can be rooted in faith. There's a higher calling to be humble, but there's also the 
the workplace, right? The practical side of humility. So my question is like, is it, when you say it's a virtue or something good to have, is it, do you view humility about it's a way to become a better person, which is great, or does it actually make you better at your job? Yes. <laughs> that's a yes. fast answer. <laughs> that's uh yes. The answer is yes. I mean, the the subtitle of my book is how to enhance your effectiveness and enrich your life. And the promise of humility is that it does both those things. It not only makes you a better person, which you know your spouse will thank me later for you listening to this podcast because you you become <laughs> a humbler, but but it also makes you more effective. And that's what's crazy is that. You know, so much has been written on on the virtue side of this from uh, religious traditions or, or spiritual traditions, and that's absolutely true. But there's you know two decades of social science research now showing that humble leaders just flat out get better results. They build stronger teams. They make better decisions. They draw out the best in others. Uh, and and then the the personal enrichment side as well. They have better marriages. They have less stress. They're happier. You know, there's so many reasons there that. Even if you didn't care a lick about virtue, if you had, you know, no no moral qualms at all, but you just wanted to get better results, you should be taking humility seriously. But the great news is it's not just that. It also makes you a better person, more holistic person, more purposeful person. Um, it's just it's a, it's a win win. It's interesting because you really don't see humility become the the quality that you see in in the type of leadership often covered in the media. So so when I think of um, leaders who are often held up as as game changers in in the business world i would not say you frequently see them portrayed as as humble leaders but you're saying that realistically humble leaders can be in high profile positions absolutely and really be effective it's not just about um those those who are more willing to tout their accomplishments that's right and and I, I think it's great you put your finger on what we celebrate versus what gets results. You know, we know that there's a lot of research saying that in general, women tend to be better at building cohesive teams than men. And yet you look at the ratio of women in leadership and it's flip flop from what research would predict would, would uh, mm. you know, uh, would drive the case. And so it's like, yeah, what we promote versus what actually gets results are often two different things. And so that's, again, part of the reason for this book is to help us think more deeply around what do we really want in our leaders? Is it what looks sexy or was it actually works on a fundamental level? And I think humility is that thing that actually works at a fundamental level. So you mentioned too uh, that some people think of humility as an innate quality. Some of us have more of it than others. Um, do you feel like it's something that leaders just you kind of have or or is it something that you can learn? Well, as you could probably guess from the title, Humbler Leadership, uh, I think we can all learn it. I think we can all get better at it. And that's actually one of the, the four pieces, the four pillars of Humbler Leadership is the growth mindset that no matter what it is in life, you can get better at it. And so, yes, you may be naturally predisposed to be humble because of your personality, um, or you may be predisposed against it like me. I'm not, uh, I, I love attention naturally. I have to like work to <laughs> kind of like beat my ego back in those ways. Um, but no matter where you are in that continuum, if you're the most arrogant person in the world or one of the most humble, you can all become a little bit humbler by being more intentional about that. So I think it's important then to level set about what we mean by humble leadership, because when I think about 
humility and someone who is humble. I think of someone who always shies away from taking the credit for anything. You know, it's always like, oh, it was it was the team. I didn't do anything or um, they don't recognize their own accomplishments. And, and yes, there is something to, I think, recognizing others. But it sounds like that's a misconception. That's not really what humble leadership is, is like not believing in yourself or saying that you didn't contribute anything. It's it's something different, right? That's right. Yeah, you nailed it. It's it's easy to look at the arrogant leader and say, okay, wow, they have a skewed self-perception. They think too highly of themselves. So a humble leader, they have the opposite problem. They think too little of themselves. And the reality is that neither one of those is true. Humble humble leaders are fundamentally grounded in reality. The, the, there's four pillars, like I mentioned, to humble leadership from the research. And the first one is an accurate self-perception. That means that I understand my weaknesses. Yes, I see where I blew it. I know where I'm limited, but I also understand my strengths so I can show up and deliver what I do better than anyone else. And yeah, like you said, it's easy to think, oh, I have no strengths. I have nothing to offer, but that's just not fundamentally true. And humble leaders mm-hmm. live in reality. And it's actually because of that first piece that they're, they're able to do the second, which is appreciating others' strengths and contributions. So because I know my limitations, I know, oh my gosh, I need Beth to do this podcasting thing because, man, that is <laughs> right. that is not my cup of tea. Thank God we have Beth, right? And so now I can actually mm-hmm. appreciate you because if I think I can do it all, I'm not going to appreciate you. Um, and then the, the, the third and fourth piece are a growth mindset, which I already mentioned. And then the last is the greater purpose. Um, a greater purpose is something outside of myself that that I really give myself to. It's not about me and my brand. It's more about my team, about moving the organization forward, about accomplishing our mission. And so when you think about this misconception of humble leaders, that they are just wallflowers, they never say anything, mm-hmm, they never talk mm-hmm. about their team. Well, again, some people maybe are, are predisposed to that, but humble, true humble leaders, because of their greater purpose, they are willing to step up. And say, hey, you know what? My team needs a shout out because they're doing great work here. And I don't want this to get lost in the mix. My purpose here is to help my team advance. Or, you know, I'd, I'd prefer not to raise my hand in an executive meeting. I'm the only woman here. or I'm the only minority here. But I know that if this perspective is missed, then our, our organization is going to suffer. And so I'm going to do the uncomfortable thing and step up and share my voice here. And it also means for that person who loves to talk, who's so loquacious, they say, you know what? I, I've got a million thoughts, but man, let me just step back and wait and let the, the other voices in the room raise to the surface. So whether it's elevating your voice or or toning down your voice or, or whatever it is, it's that greater purpose drives so much of what you do as a humble leader. So one of the things I think is so complicated when we talk about being a humble leader is um, the innate sense of fairness we have of like, we want to be recognized appropriately for, for our accomplishments. And sometimes when you are a humble leader, um, I think people may worry that their people aren't going to see the value that they contribute. So I'm thinking, especially for uh, maybe those who are new to stepping into leadership, whether as a first time leader or you're, you're new to a higher level leadership role and um, humility might feel extra hard because you're working really hard to earn your place at the table and to get the respect for your team. And it might feel like at this point, then, you know, humility is the last thing on your mind because all you're trying to do is prove your value for why you should be here. So for those who are maybe new to a role or are working to establish themselves, how can you both do that and be humble at the same time? It's it's scary that you might not get recognized. Yeah. 
So just so I understand your question there, your question is, if I'm new to a leadership role and I feel like I need to prove myself, how how can I be humble and prove myself at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, I think like like everything in life, there's there's always opportunity costs. Um, and especially like for the long term plays, there's always short term opportunity costs. And so, for instance, honesty, I think we'd all say honesty is an important value. We should all be honest. Well, does honesty ever not work out in your favor? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm willing to steal, then, hey, I can make more money right now than if I'm honest and I, you know, pass this money on the way it needs to be passed on. And so, you know, if you if you ask me, does honesty always pay off? It's like, well, what do you mean? Because in the long term, absolutely. In the short term, not always. You know, the same goes for loving your kids. I love my kids and I want them to become independent adults. Um, does that mean that that always benefits me in the short run? Man, I've eaten so many eggs that have eggshells in. I, you know, they're crunchy <laughs> eggs because I'm trying to teach my four-year-old how to cook. Now, long term, I think that's the best approach. But is there a short-term trade-off? Absolutely. And so I'd say it's the same thing with humility. Humility, because uh, because of the benefits it provides, because of fundamentally who it makes you into as a human being, it is absolutely the right long-term play. And I would say every single time. Does that mean that sometimes I get ignored because I didn't toot my own horn? Yeah, it does sometimes. But does it mean that I think if I'm in a good organization, they're going to figure out, wow, this person just delivers again and again and again, and they do what's best for the organization, and still they drive results. How do they pull this off? And it's it's going to be, one of the reasons will be because of humility. I, I love that focus on humility in many ways being tied to the focus on results um, and letting those speak versus um, feeling like you have to uh, talk about your own value and things like that. And that's just really hard to do. Um, I think your analogy almost of like, <laughs> you might have a few failures too before before you get to it being really good. You might have to eat a couple of eggshells, but I don't know, in two years, your kids might be making you the best eggs you've ever had. And like, you've just made your Sunday mornings like great for the rest of your life. <laughs> so. Right. I'll tell you, my four-year-old the other day, one-handed cracked eggs uh, into the skillet with no eggshells. And I'm like, I can't even do that half the time. Like, where did you learn this? And it's because we've sat through all those eggshell eggs and then we debrief, hey, what worked, what didn't work, you know, like it's part of that growth mindset we're trying to cultivate. But yeah, if you don't have that long-term vision, if you're always in a rush, if you always need things to be right right now, then, you know, you're going to atrophy those people you want to develop and even your own your character in that process too. So the other thing you mentioned briefly was about um, that sometimes this can feel more difficult for people who are from historically excluded groups. So you mentioned maybe you're the only woman in the room or maybe you are um, in the minority from a race or ethnicity perspective or even just you have a different maybe background or degree than other people in the room. And a lot of the advice I have heard for those Uh, who feel historically excluded is that they have to be their own advocates because no one is going to do it for them. You know, I've heard the adage from folks I've talked to of they feel like they have to try twice as hard to achieve half as much. Um, So how can you use humility as a tool, even in those situations where where you're feeling anxious about um, being the only or speaking up, uh, rather than fear that humility is going to hold you back from people recognizing um, the real challenges at the table or, or what you have to offer? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is a really tricky question, tricky question. And if I had a magic, <laughs> I'm here to make to it that, challenging for you. Yeah, I love it. No, I mean, I think these, I think it's, it's questions like this that keep us from practicing humility because it feels like it's just too messy, frankly. Um, 
And to be honest, you know, if you are in a privileged group, humility, you you do have, it feels like a little more room to be humble, right? Because if the CEO comes and wipes down tables for you, then it's like, oh, wow, look at the CEO, they're being so humble. But if it's just your boss or your peer, you almost kind of expect that. It doesn't have the same kind of effect. And so, yeah, the reality is humility does land differently for different people. So I, I don't think the solution is that you don't ever advocate for yourself because there's times that that just doesn't make sense. I think the big thing here is your motive, you know? And so, again, it, if I'm advocating for myself because I want a promotion for myself because I deserve the glory, you know, th- I think, first of all, you'll make a poor decision because you're operating out of insecurity. But secondly, you're going to turn off the people that you need to influence. They're going to sense that coming through. And then they're going to find reasons to, to say no. But if if they can tell that, man, I'm, I'm advocating for this, not because it's about me, but because, again, my team needs this. Our organization needs this. Our customers need this. Then, yeah, there may be some places where it benefits you as well. But you know that fundamentally my primary motivation is for a purpose way larger than myself. And so um, I think that gives you the leverage to do the right thing for the right reasons and, and get where you need to go. So a lot of it does sound really good, too, of like, you know, I love the idea of staying close to your purpose, of having um, being being humble in in the way that you lead. And it sounds really noble, but sometimes, you know, there's, there's the human nature part of us that's going, you know, but listen, I work really, really hard and I do everything I can to bring my best to the table. So it's hard not to take the credit. So let's suppose like, I'm not always getting recognized it for work. What if, what's in it for me when, when you become humbler, like what do you really get out of it as a, as a person? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, fundamentally, regardless of your status at work, your results at work or whatever, I mean, you go home with yourself at the end of every day. Or I guess if you're working remotely, you stay home with yourself every day. <laughs> and so I think fundamentally for me, I'm thinking, who are you becoming? You know, in that the 480 minutes that you have every day, are you becoming more the kind of person that you were meant to be? The more the best version of yourself. And humility is undoubtedly the path to that. Um, as you think about, you know, those the deathbed thing, right? Looking back over your life, mm-hmm. you know, who, do you wish that you would have swindled a few more people and made a little bit more money along the way or, you know, become more the person you meant to be? So that's that's a real heady kind of altruistic character level that, frankly, most of us aren't thinking about day to day. So let me get a little more tangible. Um, there's some really fascinating research by Neil Krauss and his colleagues from the University of Michigan that found that, uh, humble people are happier, that they are less depressed, they have less anxiety, they have greater life satisfaction because they've decoupled their performance and they need to prove themselves from their their identity, in a sense. Mm-hmm. They know that they've been able to let go of the things that are outside of their control and recognize, hey, universe is bigger than me, right? I've got a greater purpose here. I, I have limitations and that's okay. I've accepted those things. And so just at that level, just again, the kind of the contentedness with my, my legacy and greater happiness, I think that should be enough motivation for most of us. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, Humble people have stronger relationships. And again, they drive stronger performance over the long haul. Their teams function more effectively. Humble CEOs produce better financial results for their team. And so if you're not seeing the results in the short term, yeah, there may be a short-term trade-off. But over the long haul, I think as you look back over your life, it's going to be hard to think, man, I really just should have been a little bit more self-centered and and I would have ended up better. <laughs> I don't think that's what you're going to say at the end of your career. 
I can see how it can really reduce your own stress, though, as you start to shift your thinking away from I have to be everything and I have to be the best at everything, especially at work. Um, and leaders in particular feel that way. And, and in some ways, it's um, I think many view it as a service to others on their team of if I'm the best at everything or if I can do everything for them, that's a service to my team. And it sounds like it, in many ways it's a disservice both to yourself because you can't be all those things as well as your team where you're not recognizing what they can contribute. That's right. Yeah. I, I used to say, uh, you know, when I, I was supervising student leaders early on in my career that if you if you can't fail dramatically, you don't have real responsibility. And so, yeah, you, you may got gotten promoted because you were the best at your job. You were the strongest individual contributor. And it's easy to think that the way to serve your team is to continue to do everyone's job better than they can do it themselves. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at the end of the day, if I come to work and I know that, you know, if I just do this halfway, Beth's going to swoop in and save me at the end of the day, then mm-hmm. why should I care? Why should I give my best? And so part of part of the freedom and the responsibility that comes from leadership is knowing that, yeah, I hope I'm I'm surrounded by people who are smarter than I am, who know more than I do. And my job is to help them be successful, not to do their jobs for them. And that means giving them real responsibility, letting them fail, letting them learn from that failure. Um, and that's challenging because oftentimes we we move up because we're good at controlling things and and driving results but it's one of those what got you here won't get you there sorts of things yeah you can you can be successful as an individual contributor by trying to control everything in your universe but when you're leading teams or you're leading leaders who are leading other leaders man you've got to find a way to lead humbly and lead through other people instead and it's hard to let go of being that expert that you mentioned of you know that's where you have added value to the workplace before of I have a set of knowledge and to flip that switch, especially when you're in a new situation and you're already feeling a little self-conscious, so many of us go in the opposite direction of we, we want to feel, we try to compensate for what we don't know and pretend we do know. Instead, it's really hard to go the other direction and say, you're right, I'm new to this and I have no idea. That's right. And it, it's amazing. I think we fear so much saying like, I don't know, or I, I can't do this because it's like, Everyone's going to just like turn and look at us and they won't respect us all of a sudden. But the truth is that almost everybody in the room knows that about you already. And they're just waiting for you to admit that. And so and and as a result, if you're not being honest with them about that, they're going to say, well, what else is that person not being honest with me about? Right. Uh-huh. It, it underwords the trust. But to say, you know what, I don't know the answer to this. Let's figure out a plan to get there. I'll, I'll, I'll commit to resolving this. And maybe it's, I delegate this. Maybe I go learn something, whatever. But to say, yes, let's acknowledge the problem. Let's make a plan to go forward. What a credibility builder, you know, rather than just pretending that there's there's no elephant standing in the corner of our room. Oh, that's such a good point, Josh. Of you think you're covering it up, but everyone in the room knows and it and it can end up being such a if you're pretending you know when you don't. I think um in our late I've just been working with our team on one of our latest leadership studies and uh we saw that people, leaders who were willing to admit their shortcomings had like their teams were seven and a half times more likely to trust them. Um, and that's so counterintuitive to say like, oh, I'm not sure. I, I don't know the answer. I'm really bad at that. Or I'm, I'm not as skilled in that area. That seems like you shouldn't trust me because I do not have it all together. But in fact, we see the opposite effect very strongly revealing itself that your team says, okay, I trust you because you're going to tell me when you when you don't know and we can figure it out together. That's right. And I think actually Brene Brown's research says the same thing, that the number one trust building thing you can do with your boss is to ask for help. 
And again, sounds counterintuitive, right? The reason you hired me is to do this job, but I'm asking you for help. But if I'm a boss, that tells me one of two things. It tells me one, this person actually knows their limits because they know that they've gotten out over their skis and they need some help. And so I know that I can give them some more leash because they'll tell me if they need help. And, and the second thing is it helps me step in and help them be successful and move them forward. And so they're going to get better results because of that. And so, again, I want to give them more because I'll say, hey, I can trust you. I know you'll let me know when you need help. Um, and that's just that's, again, counterintuitive, as you said, but so empowering when we can just live vulnerably with each other in that way. I think that's a crucial takeaway of, I think in your book, you called it contagious humility of what happens to your team when, when I become more humble as the leader, what, how does that start to play out among your team um, and change their behaviors as well? That's right. Yeah. If, if I, as the leader, am, am okay at admitting my mistakes, then everyone else is able to, to do that as well. And if you don't, it's amazing what happens. Uh, I think Carol Dweck did some research on this where when teachers were at the the whiteboard, you know, the the one of the groups of teachers, when they would make a mistake, they would say, ah, I'm so stupid. I shouldn't have done that. They would beat themselves up. And others would say, whoops, I made a mistake. You know, that happens and erase it and move on. And the teachers that beat themselves up, their students would start to beat themselves up about failure. They had that same like high anxiety, high performance mindset because they replicated what they saw in their leader, in this case, who was their teacher. And the reverse was also true that the fix or the growth mindset teachers who, yeah, failure is a part of life. We accept it, move on there. The students replicated it, too. So this is not just relevant for you at your office, that those four year olds, you know, watching you at home, you know, seeing you admit mistakes or deny that you made a mistake. Man, it's it starts really, really young. Wow. And I, as I listen to you, it's the consequences on the other end start to start to become clear. If you're going to have a, if you don't do it, you're going to have a team who who hides from you and hides their mistakes. Mm-hmm. And oh gosh, that's really when things can become really, really, really get bad. If you know, say you're in accounting and your team is hiding mistakes, you know, or they're they're trying to cover it up by and something maybe they did truly as an accident. Nothing. Nothing. Right. Um, badly intentioned, but you can run into some very serious trouble or in cultures of, you know, if you're in a work culture, that safety is a key concern and people don't want to admit, oh, I messed that up and it could hurt somebody. Um, there's a lot on the line. But, and I'll say that something you mentioned there, that there's there's an, a fear on the other side of this that comes in where it's that, well, if, if we just like admit our mistakes all the time, then we're just going to lower standards. And so people will come in and say, yeah, we had a safety incident today. I'm being honest about it and kind of like feel like they're off the hook because they just owned up to it. And some leaders, I think, fear if if I make it okay to fail, then we'll just accept failure. And okay, sure, you can go that direction if you want. But to, to really have a growth mindset, it's not just acknowledging the failure, but it's okay, we failed. What did we learn? How are we going to get better tomorrow? Like, let's let's move forward from this. And that's when you actually see progress is when we can call the elephant out in the room, decide why it's there and, you know, kick it out the door so it's not there anymore. And so, yeah, I, I think that that fear is often misplaced. People are afraid to to talk about failure because it feels like making it OK when in reality we're just acknowledging it so we can address it and move forward. So throughout this whole interview, I I, I think it's come to light for me that so much of humility is not. Um, is not about 
being, you know, not acknowledging what's going well or, or recognizing accomplishments. But really, I think as you started is that that accurate picture of both what's going on and uh, so what the reality is, both your own strengths personally, but also what's going on on your team and being really readily um available to to address what's going wrong and, and the mistakes are there so it's almost like humility is is reality instead without you know that's putting right. the nice shiny the nice shiny coat on it that's right yeah it, it is the most accurate way to view yourself in relation to the world you know it's recognizing that i am a person among among people not you know the person among objects as uh arbinger institute says um yeah it's 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 committing to committing to truth and committing to live in truth because that's where that's where we actually change things. We don't change things in our imaginary world where things are one way. We change things on the ground in reality, and it takes humility to just yeah call a spade a spade, admit the funkiness or the messed upness of a situation. But that's when we can actually get results. Oh, so so powerful, Josh. So the last question I have a question is um, one that I ask all of my guests on the show. Can you share with me a moment of leadership that really changed your life, either either for the better of this is what I want to do or for bad of I observed that and I'm I'm going to change it because I don't want to ever want to do that. Yeah, well, there's a story of another humble leader that I didn't have space to fit into the book, but it was another one of those really powerful experiences for me. Um, it was at a university I worked at where we actually had to shut down a campus and it was a really difficult situation because, you know, people's feelings were hurt. People had to lose their jobs, all that kind of stuff. And so yeah. the the executive who made that decision made the, made the decision and then kind of like left the scene and, you know, announced in October, hey, this is happening in May. So there was a long time between when, when the decision was made and when things were going to happen. And he was gone off the scene for several months. And while that happened, a lot of rumors spread. People got feelings hurt. And there was just kind of this this caustic environment that was created there. And so finally, he came back to address the situation and had an open open mic town hall to let people just come and and to answer their questions. And by this time, he realized, OK, I think I've been gone too long. You know, I, I should have been closer to the situation. And so over the course of two hours, faculty and staff and students came up to, to the mic and so many of them were just berating him, accusing him you know, just airing their anger and frustration. And but because of my position, I knew a little bit of the backstory. He was getting blamed for things that were not his fault or things that were not true. And he could have very easily said, well, let me actually explain what happened to you and kind of like, you know, dismiss the thing. But he didn't do that. Instead, as they cried out in the audience, he stood up on stage and he cried and he just said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he just owned it. And he absorbed all of the hurt and anger in the room that was directed at him, even when it wasn't fair. And it just absorbed all that so that the the people in that room could heal. And as he's crying up on stage, I'm like crying into the audience because I know this person and I know this isn't fair, but I see like they are laying down their dignity and their self-righteousness and their their image in this moment in order to to do what is best for the greater purpose. And for me, it's like, wow, if that's what leadership can do, I, I, I want to do more of this. Yeah, I want to become that kind of leader. It's just such an inspirational moment for me in my own leadership journey. That's an incredible story. Um, probably at a moment where that leader was feeling like, man, I probably looked really weak today, yeah. was really perceived as what an incredibly strong leader 
um, to accept all of that instead of saying like, no, no, that's not right. And there were things I, I couldn't control. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't right. really matter. So um, thank you for sharing that story. What a great example. And thank you for sharing all of your powerful advice today. Um, we just appreciate you so much being on the Leadership 480 podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Beth. I really am uh, honored to be here too. And thank you to all of our listeners who took part of their 480 minutes to be with us today. And remember to make every moment of leadership count. 